Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if patience is a virtue, we are not a very virtuous nation. Here we are only three days after Thanksgiving, and I've already been informed ten or twelve times that Santa's on his way. I hope that the poor fellow has packed a few changes of socks and underwear because it sounds like he's going to be on the road for a while. Makes you wonder whether St. Nick ever uttered the phrase, Kyrie eleison. We as human beings, especially as Americans living in a land of plenty, in an age of instant communications and overnight shipping, we have a real problem with patience. It seems that the ice is hardly melted in the coolers from our Memorial Day barbecues before we're hearing the popping sound of firecrackers for the 4th of July. No sooner does that sound fade than we're already receiving advertisements for the back-to-school sales. Halloween pumpkins show up the Tuesday after Labor Day. Thanksgiving turkeys gobble up parts of October. And Christmas carols get played in November, if marketeers and overeager consumers even wait that long. It's as if we're in a competition to rush headlong from one big high in life on to the next, without any pause to take a deep breath. We want to leap forward with no appreciation at all for those little gifts and little joys and, yes, even those little challenges that God gives us in the day-to-day routines of our life. I've got to ask then, what's the big rush? Certainly the Lord wants you to be about His business. And he wants you to make good use of your time and all of the other gifts which he provides you. He advises his people not to dally, but to work in his vineyard and work for his kingdom while it is still day, before the night comes and no one can work. Yet is your work directed toward that which spoils or focused upon those things that will last? Are you annoyed and consumed by the insignificant, Or do your life, your words, and your actions point yourself and others toward the cross of Christ? The hope that it gives you for eternity. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus tells His disciples, but My words will never pass away. When rightly expressed, the church does not dwell too deeply or too long on the things of the world nor get caught up in them. We as Christians are to have a different way about us, a different tone, a different vocabulary, a different look and feel and sound. We are certainly to have a different outlook toward life and to death and to the things of the hereafter and the end times. We even have a different calendar, even though the secular world has tried to steal away from us Christmas and Easter and even Halloween and St. Valentine's Day. Well, today, I'm going to steal something back from the world and beat it to the punch. 
I'm going to be the very first to wish you Happy New Year. We're ringing out the old and we're ringing in the new today as we enter a new church year with the first Sunday in Advent. And as we prepare and we look ahead to observe once again the first coming of our Lord in Bethlehem, we really ought to be more concerned with looking ahead and preparing ourselves for His return. As joyous and as happy as Christmas can be, and as much as we anticipate and look forward to our reunions with friends and with family, all that pales in comparison when compared to the bliss and the joy and the heavenly union that we will have with God and with all of the saints in the hereafter. But for now, we wait. And waiting is difficult especially when we're being pushed, pushed, pushed by an impatient world. As little boys and little girls, we rush to grow up. We want to shave. We want to wear makeup. We want to date and to drive. We want to be done with the learning and on to the earning. In the prime of our lives, we rush and rush to accumulate the material things of this world so we can accelerate the time when we will no longer use our vocations to serve God and our neighbors, but instead to be served by others. When we're ill or we're injured, we want that one pill or that quick shot that gives an instant cure. Or we want a quick and painless surgery that takes care of our problem without any long recovery or without the hard work and strain of physical therapy. We want to get rich quick. We want to lose 30 pounds in 30 days. We want to stop smoking today. We want our best life now. It seems that the only things we aren't in a hurry to have take place are our own deaths or the coming of the end of the world. We just want that next hit of excitement or fun or attention or whatever it is that will make us feel better about being a dying person in a dying world. I'm no psychologist, but I've got a very simple theory about why so many of us are impatient about rushing forward always from one big worldly event or holiday onto the next. It's fear. We just don't want to confront the reality that the good times won't roll on forever even if God's Word and the faith that that Word produces in us tell us that the good times will be so much better on the other side. We also fear what it is we're going to have to go through to get there. We have observed what others have experienced on their journey in life and into death. Even with our Savior waiting for us on the other side, His arms open wide in love and eagerness to receive us, We hesitate. We draw back. How crazy is that? We want to grab all of the shallow and perishable things that the world has to offer right now, right today. But we want to shove away into a far distant future the rich and the glorious and the eternal blessings that the world's Creator has promised to us and has prepared for us. And in that, we're sometimes no better than those who have no faith at all. We worry. We worry about the planet's ecosystem, the health system, 
the global balance of power, the economy, terrorism, who controls Congress and the White House and the Supreme Court, and on and on and on. We read books and we watch movies about the end of the world and we fret and we speculate about when it will come and what it will be like instead of simply preparing for it every day as our Lord and Savior has instructed us to do. And prepare for it you must. For you really do not know which will come first, your personal end or the end of all things. Jesus told His disciples that at the end of His time and the time of His return, things will be scary indeed. Nations will be perplexed and in anguish. People will be in fear from the roaring and the tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, fearful of the things to come. The universe itself will be shaken. Frightening stuff, certainly. But you are to be ready you have been warned many times and are warned even here. Be careful, Jesus tells us, or your hearts will be weighed down with indulgence, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. Sounds an awful lot about how people prepare for and celebrate the holidays, doesn't it? And Jesus goes on to say, that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. Not just upon Christians either. The Savior warns, it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. There you have it then. In a nutshell, the end is going to be frightening, tumultuous, unpredictable, sudden, widespread. It's almost enough to make you want to die early in Christ and go to heaven, doesn't it? And yet, in our fearfulness, in our desire to be in control, we would prefer to stave off either of our two potential ends for as long as possible, if not indefinitely. Fearfulness and control are not what the Lord would have you have, though. Instead, He wants you to have confidence in His promises, and to have your will surrendered unto His. But how can you have such trust? How can you calm your fears about your own death or your apprehensions and your terrors about the coming of the Lord in His awesome new kingdom? When you see the sign of the fig tree sprouting its leaves, and all that comes to mind to you about fig trees is your desperate need to cover the nakedness of your sin, where can you turn? Instead of turning from the tumult and the anguish and the pain, turn toward it. Instead of averting your eyes and hiding your face, stand up and lift up your heads. Do not turn away, but look upon the perplexing and frightening sight of your God. The God turned away at the inn. The God rejected in His hometown, rebuffed in His temple, driven out of His holy city, dragging a cross, there to die for your redemption and to bring the kingdom of God near to you. And bring it to you He has, right here at St. Paul and in places just like it. Go therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Take, drink. This is my blood of the New Testament shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. In word and in sacrament, He continues to bring His kingdom to you. Not just near to you, but directly to you, in you, and even through you, so that you might not be fearful as death's relentless march bears down upon you, nor anxious as the passage of time brings the great and terrible day of the Lord closer and closer still to you and to all. Be always on the watch then. Pray that you may escape all that will befall this sinful world that has rejected your God and Savior knowing that with certainty His kingdom does come, His will shall be done, even without your prayers. Strengthened by His weakness, secured by His loss, bought by His death and given new life by His resurrection, with all of your sins forgiven and your place at His heavenly banquet assured, you are prepared, you are equipped to endure, to continue to face the temptations and all of the trials of this life. You may stand up and lift up your heads in confidence as your final redemption draws near. Have no fear. It's Happy New Year. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.